You're listening to Show Me Your Mic, a show that interviews other podcasters about their workflows, gear, and thoughts on podcasting. Your host is Chris Enns, a podcaster who's hoping to learn more about the craft by talking to fellow broadcasters. All right, yes, hello and welcome to Show Me Your Mic. Uh, I am Chris Enns, your host, and for this episode, lucky number 23, as they say, probably somewhere in the world, uh, I'm joined by Lex Friedman, uh, let's see, of Podlexing, of Macworld, of a little podcast called The Unprofessional, which he does with Dave Wiskus, and uh, that and the Podlexing thing, which we'll get into, are the main reasons why I wanted to chat with him, besides being uh, an excellent Mac nerd and uh, author. But uh, yeah, this is a podcasting show, so that's where we'll focus. But uh, Lex, you're you're there still? Haven't sw- lost you to Skype? You kept me. Okay, good. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Greg. Yes. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I can. I, I looking at the stuff you're doing, uh, and we'll get into this in a, in a minute. But as a preamble for the show, I guess I just can't imagine the schedule. You must keep managing sponsorships for a whole bunch of other podcasts because <laughs> it sometimes boggles my mind thinking about and trying to do it a little bit on my own here yeah. with my few shows but and the truth is you know i um i i go to sleep at a time that i think of as relatively early at least based on what i'm hearing from friends of mine i i try to go upstairs to my room by no later than 11 each night and i'm i do no work in bed so <laughs> that's good uh, and i have kids uh, so i'm asleep I, I mean, I would say that my my free time, which is the time that I use for stuff like podlexing, is basically eight p.m. to eleven p.m., and that's just when I pack it in each day. Nice. That's good to have that schedule, that uh, routine, I guess, as well. But yeah, so it's you. You could almost say um, your hobby is podcast sponsorship. Then, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, for me, I would say that the, the I think that's a fair description. But what makes it fun to me is that it's like a game right now. Um, you know, can I get sponsors to fill in all these different openings? But it's a game where instead of winning points, you win money. And they don't just win money for me. I win money for the podcast host. And I think that's fun. Right. Well, you're almost describing sort of whack-a-mole for podcasting, I guess. Is that's right. <laughs> you've got the talk show here with an empty sponsorship. Quick, I need to whack that, that hole. But yeah, we'll get into that. But first, I just want to touch base, I guess, a bit on, uh, on your podcast, um, The Unprofessional which uh, is a great interview show. What would you, I was trying to sort of figure out what, what the byline or the, the, this sounds mean maybe to ask this way, but what, what the point, what's the point of the show? Sure. No, <laughs> I think that's a fair question uh, because, uh, you know, I, and I'll, I'll answer that question in the long winded obnoxious way because this is podcasting after all. <laughs> I think that there are too many podcasts where uh, if there is a point, it's a very ill to find one. And there are some shows where that works great. You know, if it's just a show where it's two people talking about, tech or it's just a show where it's two people talking about something there are a lot of those so you have to have some reason that your show exists either you're so excellent at it that we need your insights even though there are other shows we can listen to or you have to have some kind of raison d'etre see i speak french you're in canada right yeah but um i mean we (laughs) yeah i'm showing you my my world culture but i'm professional (laughs) is uh, a show where dave and i talk with interesting people, fascinating people about anything except for their day jobs. So it's uh, a lot of people from the, the tech community and we don't talk about anything technology related or whatever they do for a living. And then uh, occasionally we get some uh, air quote celebrity guests uh, and we don't talk to them about what made them famous. We talk to them about anything else. Nice. And that's a, I, 
you, you sort of gather that, I guess, and uh, and I, I mean, I can read the about page where it says, you know, we talk about it with interesting people about anything but their day jobs. But I think that uh, having listened to a sort of random cherry picked episodes, and you sent me one episode, which is really great, actually. The in my sort of to give a bit of behind the curtain, so to speak, here, I when I have guests on, I ask sort of like, okay, if I only have the time to listen to one episode, because as as fun as it is to listen to every single podcast out there, it's just not possible. And so sure. I, I had listened to your show before, but then you sent me the one with John Flansburg of They Might Be Giants, which again, like you said, you you sort of touched briefly on that, but it wasn't definitely wasn't the focus of the show. It wasn't a, here's how it, life is like as a member of this rock group, that kind of thing. But Right. And you know, with I think it's even more important not to talk about it with the the celebrity guests. You know, Flansburg has answered questions about being in the band or where does his ideas come from or where did the name they might be giants come from or why did they do children? he's answered those questions 50 times probably this month alone yeah uh so not getting into that with those people i think is refreshing for them like josh and melina liked getting to talk about geocaching instead of talk about the west wing um and with i think with tech guests it's just a nice opportunity to remind listeners that we're all human you know i when i'm in traffic uh, I always think about how every single person in the, well, always, I often think about how every single person in their cars is off running some aspect of their lives and everybody's got a life or a family or jobs or whatever. And they've all got their own stories going on. And I think that it's easy to think, you know, well, John Syracuse is a nerd who thinks about nerd things all day, every day. And that's all he does. But he's a lot more than that. And, you know, being able to remind people here are other things about uh, Mr. Syracuse and here's his sense of humor bleeding through in ways that you might not get to hear otherwise. I think that's cool. Yeah, that's definitely a, uh, an appeal to the show because it's it's a relaxed. Most podcasts, I guess, are fairly relaxed. Not not, not a lot of us are are so professional that uh, you know. No McLaughlin Group style podcast, right? Yeah, now. Exactly. I mean, but at the same time, you you get, uh, and this is what I was I wanted to ask you too is how your connection to some of these guests, and I don't know your guys' total history, so maybe there's celebrity. Uh, What's Starbucks Apprentice? I was going to say in the history, but you know, episode forty-four. I was just sort of scrolling through and looking at names like Jesse Ventura. I was like, no, that can't be like Jesse the Body Ventura from my youth watching wrestling. But actually, it is. I mean, former governor, former or current governor, former governor, former, former governor. Minnesota governor. Yeah, Jesse, Jesse the Ventura. Body Ventura. Yeah. Uh, and I really loved uh, the one episode I had listened to. One of the ones I listened to previously was the Cable Saucer episode, uh, which was great. Just him him on the piano and uh, mixed in with what you guys were talking about and, and that kind of stuff and uh, just fun, light, but still getting into deep, interesting discussions, I guess. So, but anyway, circling back to Jesse the Body Venture for a moment, how did that, how do you, how are you getting some of these guests, I guess, and picking on Jesse the Body for one, but what's so the So we, we get that question a lot, you know, how do you book these people? And uh, the real answer is we ask and they say yes. <laughs> um, that's, that's what happens most of the time. Um, with Jesse Ventura, it was a little bit different where a friend of mine who's, uh, in the press, he does some tech writing, but that's not his focus, uh, received a, basically a misfired press release from Jesse Ventura's people to celebrate his book coming out in paperback. And, uh, my buddies thought to himself, I have no interest in interviewing <laughs> Jesse Ventura to talk about his new book or his book coming out in paperback. Uh, but I know a person who might be interested. Actually, I think he simply just mentioned it to me. Like, I got this. Isn't this ridiculous? I'm not going to do it. And I said, will he forward it to me? And he said, sure. So I wrote to the person and said, you did not send your pitch to me. Uh, this is our show. 
and this is, you know, how many listeners we have and this is what we do and would Jesse like to do it? And she said, yeah, let's set it up. And I said, okay, all we're going to ask is that, you know, he will Skype him in and he'll record his own end. And she's like, well, the governor doesn't use Skype, uh, so you can call him on a phone. Well, I said, okay, fine. Can he at least be in front of a computer where I can talk him through recording his end of the conversation? Uh, well, no, the governor doesn't use a computer. Uh, okay. <laughs> so with Jesse, we, we had to go strictly phone for him. And so that's uh, the un- an unusual audio quality show because it's like that radio phone call-in voice the entire time. Yeah. That's funny. Um, but that actually leads into my next question, which I was I, – I feel like your show uh, – and uh, not your, not only your show, but your show does sound really good. And I think one of the reasons why I'm guessing is because you do the sort of double ender recording style. And and uh, maybe just walk me through a bit of your workflow and some of the uh, gear that you're using for recording an episode. So uh, we do use Skype, and we use most of the time. Dave and I are using Call Recorder uh, from Ecamm, mm-hmm. um, which hooks into Skype and you know records each person's end. The, uh, some of our guests are, as you mentioned with me, you know, they're people who have some experience in this stuff. So they also have call recorder or they are easy to convince to get call recorder. And that's delightful. Uh, many more of our guests, all but one of our guests have been Mac users. And so if they don't have call recorder, I talk them through launching QuickTime player and using it to record their audio. We're always remembering that they have to verify that it's QuickTime players using the correct mic. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's on the recording piece. Um, if guests don't have a microphone, we'll send them one. We'll gift them a microphone, uh, because we'd rather have a show with great audio and, you know, be out a hundred bucks than have a show with crappy audio and have the hundred bucks. Uh, we figure that some of that sponsorship money that's coming in isn't just for us to, you know, deck out our yachts. It's to make the show better. So when we can, we put the money into the show. Uh, we send Susan Orlean a nice little mic, I remember. Um, and she did great with it. We had one guest who called in and said, I'm on Skype on my iPad because he said I should use an external microphone and my, my iPad has a built-in microphone. <laughs> and we said, no, that's, we're going to reschedule. <laughs> Um, I use, I'm using right now a, uh, a Yeti from blue. I really like a lot of blues microphones. I think that, I think that cool looking microphones are actually more than just eye candy. I think that people can, you know, you perform better to an awesome looking mic. Uh, I believe Dave is using the, uh, the spark digital from blue. And, um, I, I don't own and I have never used a Rode Podcaster, but if I ever switched away from Blue, I think that's probably what I would switch to. Mm-hmm. And what, is that what you're sending out to folks as the Rode Podcaster, or what do you usually send out? <laughs> so the truth is we don't go crazy with the mics that we're sending um, because we're just sort of trying to keep things reasonably affordable for us. So it's some fairly generic-seeming $100 Samsung microphone that we sent. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not $100. It's like a, a $40 or $50 Samsung microphone. The, the, the truth is that the blue microphones are so cheap that we could spend the $100 now each time, and we, we have done that. Um, they used to be, you know, like the, the Yeti that I use used to be $200, and then it was $150, and now it's $100. And so if it's somebody who we think will really benefit long-term from having a microphone, we go, and send, we go ahead and send that. Mm-hmm. But if it's somebody who's never had need for a microphone before and probably never will again, we usually go to the $50 Samsung something or other. Right. And that's an interesting. I, uh, we'll get to the sponsorship idea uh, stuff discussion in a minute. 
but um, just as a means of producing a quality show that would attract sponsors in the first place. And I mean, chicken and egg, I guess, which happens first for you and and things like that. But um, it speaks, I guess, to the idea that if you want to have people pay you to do the show, you should, which I mean, now when you say it out loud, it's kind of obvious, obviously, but you should probably produce something that is worth being paid for in some manner, not just you reading their copy enthusiastically, but the show that they listen to feels like they're getting their money's worth as well in terms of the quality. And Right. And, you know, it's, I don't even think, I mean, I think that's even one step removed. You have to have a good show, a good quality show that people are going to enjoy listening to just so you can get a lot of listeners because you can have a perfectly formatted radio produced show with music beds and breaks and slickly produced. But if you have no listeners, it's still not that appealing to sponsors. So for us, it's like, how can we make the best show possible so that more and more people will want to listen to it? Because honestly, if you had a show that sounded awful, but it had 100,000 listeners, you're going to find interested sponsors anyway. <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. Uh, luckily, I don't have that problem. <laughs> uh, we'll get there. But uh, yeah, and that's where I think what's what's neat with, um, or what's awesome about the Unprofessional is... Is it the unprofessional? Am I doing using the right nomenclature, or is it? Uh, the there's no article. I was going to just, just let it slide because okay. I'm a friendly guest. But yeah, it's just unprofessional. <laughs> no, I strive for well, if not the Queen's English, at least Canadian English. So that's fair. <laughs> uh, but yeah, on the <laughs> you're making me self-conscious on unprofessional. I'll go. With that's that. the one. Yeah, there we go. go. Uh, you're 40 episodes in. You're as of this recording, anyways, and. Did episode one start with Mule Radio? That should mention as well. It's on uh, the Mule Radio Syndicate. Yeah, we um, we began on Mule Radio and and remained there happily. <laughs> um, what was you know, so? It's it's funny that you know this is when we're talking about this. Like you mentioned, we as we're recording this, we're forty eight episodes in, and either the day of this recording or the next day, episode forty nine will come out, and it's an episode about the podcast. So it'll <laughs> be a nice sort of bookend to this one. Yeah, be, these will be companion pieces. Yeah. Exactly. Is that, uh, I, I find it interesting when, when podcast, I mean, obviously because I'm a podcaster and so I, I, I eat that kind of stuff up, I guess, but maybe the average listener is kind of like, oh, more navel gazing. I don't really care what, why you guys do the show. Just talk to someone like Jesse Ventura or whatever. <laughs> well, you know, it, it came out where we had a guest booked and then the guest had to reschedule and we thought, well, we could book somebody at the last minute, but we don't want anybody to feel like they're a last minute quality guest. And, you know, we don't have, you know, Conan O'Brien, when he was on NBC, used to always book Al Roker. If 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 somebody <laughs> couldn't make it, he would have Al Roker come on and do his Al Roker thing. Uh, we don't have an Al Roker exactly. And we don't want to, we don't want anybody to feel like they're just our backup <laughs> guests. So we said, you know, what, instead of rushing to fill it, we'll just do a show with the two of us. And what are we going to talk about? Let's talk about the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. That's something to look forward to. And uh, that's coming out this week-ish, would you say? Yes, yeah. I think it should come out. Uh, it should come out this week. And do you do uh, um, going back to your workflows for recording stuff? So you you have the guest record their end. You you and uh, Dave are in separate locations as well. I that's I right. And so then yeah. we you know we use Dropbox to get the files together most of the time. Sometimes we use our transporters, um, which is sort of like a hardware version of Dropbox. And then um, once we've got all the files, it's usually. Dave, who does the edit, I've edited literally one episode of the show. Uh, Dave will do the edit normally in GarageBand. Then we send it all to Mule, and Mule does the uh, a final edit, not for content but for audio quality. They put in, they mix in the sponsor reads, and they mix in the uh, music and such. 
and then they uh, they publish the show. The um, and Mule has gotten very clever with it because they have so much experience. If you do send them a GarageBand file, if they say you know, do the GarageBand edit, but then put in. I forget exactly how they do it, but basically if you put the full high quality MP3 into the final GarageBand export um, for each track, it makes the file huge because GarageBand's auto converting all of those to giant AIFFs to edit. So we do very of super low quality export of the GarageBand file um, and then simply provide separately the full quality audio tracks for each person and all the edits stay in the same place and they just swap out the audio files and it saves time and bandwidth and all that sort of thing. So they have a whole crazy system worked out on that side. Interesting. Hmm. I'll have to someday touch base with somebody, somebody over at Mule anyways to pick their yeah. brain on that kind of stuff because that'd be interesting to hear what they're doing. Because I would have assumed that they would be doing, I guess it, it would be a little bit um, onerous to require all their podcasters to use something like Logic Studio or Logic Pro or whatever, uh, you know, and that kind of system, which is probably more geared for what they're trying to do, but it looks like, sounds like they've sort of hacked the system in a clever way to to maintain the ease of use of something like um, GarageBand, which is built Exactly. In. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I honestly, I mean, I certainly see the appeal of an app like Logic um, or Audition for doing podcast editing, um, especially when you do things like room noise and uh, fixing up leveling and that sort of thing. But I think that you're right that they've got enough GarageBand plugins on their side and they've got, everybody has GarageBand. So yeah. it's been working out fairly well for them. Oh, we both took a breath at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I was going to say the GarageBand being enabled on most every, well, every Mac obviously as uh, they ship with that and um, makes it really easy to use and isn't, and it, sometimes I think uh, audio snobs snub their noses a bit at GarageBand or, or, or things like that. And uh, it's, yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with it as far as recording and editing in, and if it serves your purpose, kind of like using iMovie to, for Final versus Final Cut Pro. And um, if although the, I will say I hate iMovie, <laughs> and I, I would. <laughs> Speaking from what, uh, a Mac user to a Mac reviewer, I can say that I, for the longest time, you know, five years or how long has iMovie been around? Seven years, anyway. It's, it's probably longer than that even. But I switched to Final Cut Pro at some point. I don't know, five or six years ago. And I was just telling a friend the other day, I said, oh, just edit that video you shot in iMovie. It's awesome. You know, you just quickly do this, that. And she came back to me. She's like, it takes me forever. And I was like, well, just, you know, you just do a cut like this. And I couldn't figure out how to trim. I mean, it's trim now. I know in the in the, <laughs> in the the edit menu and stuff. But it took me the longest time to just find a way to trim a, or a blade right. or whatever you call it. And I was I like, I'm, yeah. I miss iMovie 2006 before yeah. they switched it. I miss that. Back in my day, we used to be That's able to. Right. <laughs> I don't reject all change. I just reject some change. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Sorry. The, uh, I would imagine that there's some similar folks who look at GarageBand though and are like, uh. <laughs> right. I no, can... and I totally get that. And for me, and I think to your earlier point about, you know, the, some folks might look down on GarageBand. I, I really care much more about the end product. And I, you know, I, we sh like you said, and I appreciate it, you know, that you think the show sounds decent uh, in terms of audio quality. Uh, at the end of the day, for me, I care about what the, the final product sounds like. If I didn't think we could get a good enough audio quality from GarageBand, we would switch. Mm -hmm. And for Dave, it's the same thing. If he didn't like what we were getting, he would switch. But, and Mule, I, I'm confident, would be supportive of whatever we wanted to send them. But we can get done what we want to get done as is, so we're pretty happy. Yeah. What did you, going back to, just jumping back to the Cable Sasser episode, I'm just curious how you, what you did, because he was playing his piano, 
uh, or yes. some sort of piano. Uh, was that recorded live in the room with him or something? Or what did you do with that episode? So I love that episode. And when I debated which episode to send you, it was going to be either the Flansburg episode or the Sasser episode. I think the Sasser episode is one of our finest hours, but um, which is a testament mostly to Cable. But uh, he was sitting at his piano. I'm not sure exactly how he had it mic'd, but I believe he was using one mic for everything. And um, the only real trickery we did with that episode, since we had all of his, him and his piano on one track, was we edited, or and when I say we, it was Dave, edited together um, multiple takes of his version of our theme song in the beginning of the song. We put them all together into one longer version of the song because he did different parts at different times. Then he took a break and said, how am I going to do this? Oh, I'll do it like this. And so we, we put pieced all those together. Gotcha. So editing magic, as they say. That's right. And uh, you cannot hear the edits. If you don't know they're there, you would never know. But I'm, t- I'm, I'm, I'm lifting back the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> so a spoiler alert, I guess, for anybody who's listening That's right. to that. I've shattered the illusion. <laughs> now, he could play it all live, but he, he had forgotten that he was going to do the cover of the song. And so we're all sitting there before the show starts, and we're all in our respective recording studio spots. And we said, we said hey, Cable, don't forget that you were going to do this cover. He's like, oh, that's right. I have to think about how the song goes again. He's thinking about that for a moment. He says, oh, now I got it. And then he just immediately starts playing it. And then Dave goes and says, actually, I think you're in the wrong key. And so he just immediately transposes it. <laughs> My point being, Cable, very talented man. Yeah, that's uh, listening to that. I think that's part of that. Some of that story is in the episode, if I remember correctly. It was a little while ago when I listened to it, I think when it came out probably. But uh, yeah, those kind of people make me angry as a musician, yeah. <laughs> as a hobby musician, I guess I should say. They make me angry, but uh, I digress. More complaining about other people. The uh, <laughs> um, I don't know if you've had just as a little bit of a random off-topic thing, but Apple just today announced Logic Pro 10 it was right. released. I don't imagine. I did. I, I know at MacWorld it was Christopher Breen. I think that uh, did the review of it. That's right. Um, have you had a chance to play with it at all, or is that outside the the realm of what you? I downloaded touched? it today and looked at it. Okay. Um, I think it's awesome. I think especially, I mean, if I had, I used to do a lot more music stuff. If I still did music stuff with any kind of regularity, I think I would be totally passionate and obsessed with it every day. Uh, now it mostly serves as a reminder that I don't do music stuff anymore. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but I really, I think it's, you know, I think it's impressive. It's, you know, sometimes, you know, you see Apple does a major update on an app and you worry, oh no, did they ruin an app that I loved? But, uh, at least that's what I think, you know, with iMovie I had that, and then with Final Cut, some Final Cut fans had that concern when they switched to Final Cut Pro 10. But I feel like Logic Pro 10 is an upgrade where you're like, yes, I understand and support every major decision you have made. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm in, in the similar boat to you. I used to work at a, a computer store here and at the university and back way back when, I guess. But I remember getting back when they used to ship out, and I posted pictures on Twitter today, ship out like, We'd get NFR copies, which I would presume the, the magazine or whatever, that's maybe what they would get as well, right. of these new apps that would come out. I remember getting you know, Final Cut Pro with 10 DVDs or whatever. And so I had a Logic, uh, what is it? Logic Studio, which was uh, Logic Pro 8 that shipped in it, in this massive box that there's no, like I can barely lift it. And uh, But just remember back to those days of being able to try out this new Apple software the day it came out or shortly thereafter and... And missing that from, yeah, like you said, a hobbyist kind of musician standpoint and some of the fun stuff with the drummer and virtual drummer and sessions drummer or whatever they're calling it looks a lot of fun to play with. But uh, but yeah, from a podcasting standpoint, I was, I was sort of debating with a friend of mine, Tim Smith, who, who uh, records podcasts as well and debating like, do we need to upgrade and is it worth it? I'm on Logic Express 
eight or nine, whatever the, the one right before the Mac App Store version, anyways, came out. And to me, it didn't look like there's much there that was worth sit, like as far as workflow stuff. But we'll see in, in as more people get their hands on it. I guess we'll yeah we'll have have to see. But at any rate, it's only 199 bucks, so it's not that expensive either. If you're if that's what you do for a day job, it's compared to what it used to be. Totally, it's, it's worth it. So. All right, so that we digress. <laughs> uh, the uh, skipping ahead, I guess, or over to uh, what you're also doing, like I was saying, Podlexing, which is your the I guess the company name, the website name, whatever for your running sponsorships for a variety. Of, uh, if I counted correctly, around 26 shows at least on the website, um, managing the sponsorship spots and things like that. So, just talk me through a bit of how that came about, and there's a bit of a write up on the website. But what what sort of brought this idea about? So, you know, when we first joined Mule, I didn't even know that sponsorships were a part of the question at all. So when the show debuted, you know, we just did our first couple episodes and then I hear, oh, by the way, we booked a sponsor for this episode. And I said, wait, we're going to get paid to do this now? That's <laughs> incredibly exciting. Uh, but No, are you being facetious or like... No, I'm totally serious. Oh, really? I just had no expectation of getting paid at first. I thought it was just something we were going to do for fun. Yeah. And uh, so... Mule, you know, sort of fell into podcasting accidentally. They're a design shop and they didn't have anybody devoted to ad sales. So although they sold a couple spots, uh, they, I noticed that we were having more and more weeks where nothing was sold again. And then I was like, well, you know, now that I got used to getting paid for it, it's much more fun <laughs> to do the show when you also get paid to do it. Yeah. Uh, and it, honestly, if the sponsorship thing hadn't started way back then, my guess is the show wouldn't still be going. I love doing the show and I'm thrilled that I get to do it. But um, it's so much easier to justify carving out the time to devote to something like that when it can also be something that pays you back a little bit. Um, but, you know, so I mentioned to Mule, I see you guys aren't selling a ton of ads right now. Do you mind if I sell for my own show? And they said, no, go for it. Uh, and then I was doing well enough selling my own show and it was sold out uh, that Glenn Fleischman, who also named Podlexing uh, months later, Glenn Fleischman said... Um, would you mind selling ads for the new disruptors? And I said, sure, I'll sell ads for the new disruptors. That's fine. And then Mule said, hey, you're selling ads for your show and the new disruptors. Why don't you sell ads for all of Mule's shows? And I said, okay. And then Marco Arment and John Syracuse, uh, Accidental Tech Podcast, Casey List, they were like, well, you're selling all those other sponsorships. Why don't you do us? And Mac was like, and you should do ours. And Bowling Boy was like, hey, do us too. And so it just kept growing and growing. And so now I have, uh, you counted them, but you know, nearly 30 shows. Um, and it's, uh, you know, like I said in the beginning, it's for me, it still feels a bit like a game um, where you win real live money. <laughs> and I have no sales experience. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, I've had, uh, you know, I've had very good success with it so far. Some shows honestly sell themselves. You know, like the fact that I get to sell ads for the talk show is awesome because kind of everybody wants to be on the talk show because John Gruber's got so many listeners that uh, every sponsor comes away happy and they make money on it. And so they consider it a very sane and smart investment. So his show is kind of sold out probably further into the future than it should be. It probably means that I'm underpricing it or doing other things wrong. But regardless, you know, some shows sell themselves and then other shows are tougher. And some shows, honestly, you know, that some of the smaller shows often don't have any sponsors at all. And, you know, that's, I would love to have every show be sold out, but right now I'm, I'm happy at least with what I'm able to get done. Yeah. And I don't know how much, um, presumably you're the, the business model, I guess, for somebody who's, cause I, when I saw it and even before, um, 
not to say that it's so easy to do, but I thought there's got, as podcasting becomes more popular, there's going to be more chances for other folks to become involved, whether it's in a producer role, let's say as a paid, you know, producer role, like someone like uh, Hattie Cook, let's say at five by five and, and things like that, where there's positions and, and people can be involved in this whole podcasting industry that aren't just strictly, you know, stuck in their basement uh, <laughs> recording on a, on a cheap microphone and, and hoping someone listens or whatever as, as the, this whole network or this whole industry grows. Right. And, and that's one of the things I thought, like maybe the, the podcasting sponsorship idea, helping others network and get sponsors and, and someone who's more of the traditional sales role, which I mean, like you said, you're not a salesperson, but obviously you're doing it well enough to, to make it work. And so the business model I would presume is something of, you know, you get a cut of the, the sponsorship that, you sell for somebody and they get their cut and in a way everybody's happy and because they don't have to do the work of going and booking the sponsor. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I take 98%. Uh, but no, should, I, the I, Apple 70, 30 split, I assume is your, uh, yeah, no, even you're less. 70. Oh, I'm the 70 right now. I, um, uh, you know, yeah. So it's, yeah, you don't have, I'm not asking you a reveal number, sure. just, but no, it's, and it's, I mean, honestly, it's fine. I, I don't mind, you know, peeling back the curtain a bit, but I, it's with, it depends on the size of the show with larger shows. I actually take less because the smaller shows are harder to do mm-hmm. and the larger shows command a higher rate. But, um, the, uh, the, I would say that yeah, I think that right now with it, there's more and more podcasts every day. And so everybody wants to get sponsored because <laughs> when you see this podcaster selling sponsorships, you're like, wait, I can become a millionaire from yeah. podcast ads, which you probably can't. Um, but uh, shoot, well, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> to let everybody down out there, but uh, you probably can't become a millionaire unless you have a million listeners per week. Mm-hmm. But um, in which case, call me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, the um, so, yeah, it's. Uh, so as there are more and more podcasts and there's more and more people trying to get various sponsors on there, Squarespace only has so much money. Right now, Squarespace <laughs> is a company that uh, – a podcast sponsoring company that also dabbles in web hosting. And, I mean, I love them. I am grateful to them for the support that they show, not just my shows, but the industry at large. And I think it's awesome. And it's clearly been very good for them. They're, they're no fools over there. They sponsor shows that pay off for them in terms of generating new customers. <clears throat> Excuse me. But – um uh, you know, w- the the challenge for everybody is that there are no industry standard rates and there's no real sense of, you know, I know if I'm a, a television advertiser, what different shows are selling at. I know that this show commands a $150,000 per 30 second spot rate. And I know that the Super Bowl is two point something million dollars for a 30 second spot. But with podcasts, it's it's still all very much in the dark. So one of the things that I sort of do is I can... I see the bigger picture now. I've got 30 shows just about. So I can see, you know, shows that are at this size command this rate and shows that are at this size can command this rate. And um, I think that's appealing both to the show's hosts and to the sponsors themselves. They know that I'm, I mean, obviously I'm going to do what best I can to maximize revenue for the show hosts, but I also am trying to be super fair to the sponsors so they keep sponsoring shows again and again. So I'm trying to really work and figure out what the best numbers are. Uh, and then I think the other piece of it is it's just, it is, 
you know, a lot of grunt work to, you know, it's a lot of hustling to find the sponsors. Sometimes sponsors reach out to you and that's awesome. If you're like, Hey, we want to sponsor these shows. Now my work is done, but I also still do a lot of reaching out to people. Hey, you should totally do podcast sponsorship. And uh, both of those things are present their own sets of challenges and it's work that many people don't want to do. Like Marco Arman is a great example. He was selling his own ads on ATP and doing just fine for accidental tech podcast. And, uh, he wasn't selling out every single episode. Most of the time he had just one sponsor, even though he was open to having two, but he was doing just fine. They didn't need me. Um, but they didn't love doing it either. They were very happy to have somebody else deal with all the sponsorship stuff. And they, so they handed it to me and you know, now he's got, I think at this, at this moment, he's got a couple openings left in August. Um, but other than that, he sold out through, uh, September and into October. So, I mean, there, there, it's, I understand why people want to have me help. And I don't make a ton of money on any individual show. It's more like it becomes worthwhile to do since I can shell mul- sell multiple shows at once. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, when you're taking yeah. just a fraction of a percent for an individual show, it's it's not so much, but it's it's worth it to me over time because you know as as shows add up and as sponsors do multiple shows, then it's, it works out for everybody. Yeah, and that's I think it's it scales right. It's uh, it works at scale, I guess, and um, uh, it's. It's interesting, and I, I wonder. Just going back to Squarespace for a second, and I don't want you to. I'm not trying to get you in trouble or anything, but but I saw recently they. Well, I know that they they had killed their affiliate program, which for a lot of say probably bloggers and uh, maybe some podcasts. Like I had I had a link on my the sidebar of my site, just a little. I never actually really named it. I didn't do any effort, so I, I mean I'm not surprised I didn't get very much money. And maybe this is why Squarespace is killing it. But they killed their affiliate program at some level anyways maybe I'm, anyways don't need to get into all the details of it but i was kind of wondering if they were maybe pulling back now like hey we're big enough we don't need to do this anymore um i noticed you know i got an email from hover who's a domain registrar that they're they're pitching squarespace as a you know next step or whatever and so maybe they'd worked out some arrangement with sort of that level of of uh sort of affiliate stuff with with companies like that um but was there a fear that there is there a fear that they're going to pull back cuz they are i mean like you said, uh, it's it's a bit a bit of a sort of a a running gag or whatever. But also, it is interesting how much of the podcasting world they are supporting financially. And you know, a, a company like that disappears, and all of a sudden, <laughs> things the landscape could change a bit. Um, I think that's the, an ex- exactly the right question to be asking. And I mean, I would say to Squarespace, I, I don't feel like I'm talking out of school or anything. I don't think I'm at risk of getting into trouble. I love those guys and um, I love the support that they've shown. But I think that anybody who um, relies in any way on podcast sponsorship revenue has to be very concerned that at any point Squarespace could say we're done. <laughs> so one of my big goals is uh, always ensuring that the Podlexing network uh, is not dependent on Squarespace. I love Squarespace. I would love to continue to have them every day if I could. Um, and they're very, very good at what they do. And they make me work harder than most other sponsors do. And they've earned that right. Um, work harder in the sense of, you know, they want more explicit reporting and they want to know exactly what the time codes were for the different spots that run and links to all those things. So it's just a little bit of extra work because, I mean, when you're investing that much, you want to measure it. Yeah. But my big thing is, we should, you know, we need to find the next seven Squarespaces, um, and you know, the next seven big sponsors who also want to do a ton of this and really get into it in a big way. And I think I've had some success at finding some of those people and working with them and developing relationships with them. But, you know, when I first started doing it for Unprofessional and then for one or two other shows at the time, it was a lot of one-off sponsors. 
And that's a terrible business strategy because it's just a ton of extra work. Now you're, especially as it becomes a bigger deal. And so you need to have tax forms for everybody. You need to be logging each thing, doing one off over and over again for that is it's more work just to find them and to, to get all the assets you need from them. But then it's also just more bookkeeping work and everything else. Um, so really trying to find who are the people who are not necessarily Mitsubishi sized where it's so big that they're not really going to have interest even if I can get them in front of you know a million or two million listeners but are still not they're also not one man shop in the developer size where they can only afford to do one or two spots per season or per quarter or whatever to find those people who are right in that sweet spot of they're big enough that they can pay and not so big that we're not interesting and that at the same time like I always go back to this I want to be able to actually do well for them. There are people who look at sponsorships as a, and if I'm getting too long winded, you pull me back. But oh, yeah. <laughs> there's people who look at these sponsorship things and they say, you know what, I just I just want to get the money out there. And it's I don't think they think of themselves as stealing, but their goal is I want the money. Um, and I would say that unprofessional, unprofessional for a short amount of time at least, uh, was guilty of at least looking at it as you know we were certainly literally watching the clock while we recorded ad reads, and we wanted them to be you know a minute or fewer. And sometimes it was like you know, maybe it should be forty five seconds or fewer. So we'll, we'll go to the forty five second mark, and then we're going to wrap it up and go to the next sponsor, and then we're going to be done. Um, and I've moved way away from that now. You know, on, on unprofessional, we try to make the ad reads as entertaining as possible because we don't want to cut them back. We want them to be as long as they need to be to get the ad message across. So, I, you know, we um, I think we usually probably average somewhere between six and eight minutes um, for two sponsors combined. And I think that uh, John Gruber on the talk show is the same way. He does not look at the clock at all while he does his sponsor read. He's going to talk about him until he feels like he's done. Mm-hmm. And it's those kind of ad reads that do best by sponsors. When people really feel like you are trying to tell them about it, when it's it's not just an sorry, when it's not just an invitation of a uh, uh, of a, a radio commercial, and you're really just trying to say, you know, here's what I know about this, and here's what they've showed me, you know, if they gave me a sample or whatever, here's what my experience was with it. When you can really take the time to go into detail and describe to people what's up, um, that's that pays off a lot better too. So my big thing is, I want the. I want to have repeat sponsors who are repeating because we are act- actually genuinely selling whatever it is that they're promoting um, because then they'll keep being repeat sponsors and that saves me a ton of work. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and it's interesting with the, the whole sponsorship thing, the reads and, and, and whatnot in a show where everybody knows, I mean, maybe there's some people who it's the first time they've ever listened to a podcast and will, you know, they're granted that, that there's some people like that. It's the first time they've listened to the talk show, let's say, and all of a sudden he, John starts talking about uh, Backblaze or whatever. I'm just looking at your sponsor list, but <laughs> and they didn't pay for that mention, <laughs> but <laughs> but they could. They owe me now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Invoice will be coming from Podlexing. <laughs> no, um, you know, and maybe they're not aware that it's a paid sponsor, and they think, oh, that's an interesting mention that or whatever. But everybody generally is is in on it, right? And it's acknowledged that the sponsor is helping fund this thing, and that's why I get to listen to it, and that's why the person who I'm listening to, because I'm interested in them, gets to do this thing that they love doing because someone's helping pay for the, the network traffic and the microphones and all that kind of stuff, editing time, et cetera. And like you said, the extra features on their yachts and stuff Right. <laughs> on top of that. But, um, and it's kind of harkens back and maybe I'm, I'm not so old that I remember TV in this, this, this day and age, but when sponsorship on TV was just, you know, in the middle of a show, say like in modern day times, Letterman would just pull out a whatever, coffee mug of nabob coffee and say this interview or this chat or this section of our show is brought to you by so-and-so whereas nowadays tv has gone so far to the like you can't even tell what's 
commercial sometimes and what's not and things like that. Um, do you see that getting a little bit philosophical, I guess, on, on the sponsorship model with podcasting? Do you see it changing at some point? Or are we sort of in, you know, right now we're in the, the infant phase almost of this industry. Are we going to have to s- jump to that next level of sort of more deceptive advertising as sponsors want more like, you know, they want John, I keep picking on John, but um, want John to be more overt with his read and and not that he would do that, but do you know what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying. And here's what I think. I think that we're going to see, first of all, some continued consolidation, um, whether it's people going to networks like Mule or 5x5 or elsewhere, Um, or it's people coming, you know, staying independent a la Boeing, Boeing or ATP and coming to somebody like me. But at some point it's going to become very difficult to sell shows one off because advertisers are going to be looking for larger audience bases. Um, and I think that right now what I hear from sponsors is that they prefer a live host read, you know, meaning you stop the show and you do the ad read and then you go back to the show again. But it's, they don't want to put in a 30 second spot from television uh, or from, from radio. They don't want to have like an affected produced thing that they put in and they don't want to have, you know, this episode is brought to you by, they don't want to do it. Like they don't want to do that stuff. They like that. It's in your voice. Now I'll be honest. Sometimes I think they like it. And sometimes I think it's because they sort of say it explicitly because of the implied endorsement. Mm -hmm. And that I try to, you know, I try to make sure people understand there is no, uh, guarantee that because you have sponsored uh, this show that I'm also endorsing your product in the sense of I use it and I love it. Now, anytime I can say that I use it and I love it, I will. And John's the same way and pretty much everybody is. It's, it'd be dopey not to, right? Yeah. If you can genuinely say, no, you got to check out Backblaze. Uh, they gave me a free trial of the service when they became a sponsor. And I liked it so much that I signed my wife up, my mother-in-law up and my parents up. Uh, and that is true by the way, even though they still haven't paid us. Um, shameful. but, uh, <laughs> they at least should get you a coffee or something. But you know, it's, um, you know, when you can say that stuff from the heart, it makes sense too. And it does so well and it really helps. It presents a much more compelling message, I think to the listener. But yeah, I mean, so I don't think that we're going to see, you know, sponsors saying we want you to, to sell the heck out of this thing. The sponsors provide the bullet points. If sponsors want to provide a script, they provide the script. And if, if I or John or somebody else is reading from a script, I think the listeners know. And that doesn't mean it's a bad sponsor or a bad opportunity for that sponsor, but it's different. If you say, you know, you know there's, a, there's a company called Fracture that prints photos onto glass. And they sponsored a couple shows that I sell. And each time they said, they, you know, they worked with me to get the hosts prints of their own photos and sent them to them. And so you hear this, you know, they give them a couple bullet points, but the hosts forget all about the bullet points. You're like, holy moly, you got to see this thing, which obviously you can't because you're listening to a podcast. But this thing that they <laughs> sent me is amazing. And I'm going to order some more now because it's so cool. And I love this thing. And like each host said that because that's how good the product is. And it's, they're doing exactly the right kind of sponsorship because they're hitting up people who are trustworthy. You can't really look at a photo of a photograph printed on glass and get what it is. But when you hear these people whose opinions you trust, effusively praising this product, uh, it makes a difference. So I, I think that most sponsors get it. And I think that the, you know, if there are some who come to me and they, it seems like maybe they just want a script and they're hoping that it's going to sound like so-and-so is endorsing the product. I try to work with them and say, you know, we've, we've got to be careful how we're catching this because, you know, John Gruber is not going to say something that he doesn't mean. Mm-hmm. He'll read your ad script, but he's not going to make it sound like I love this thing if he's never even heard of it until he's reading the ad spot. So I work with them to make sure that they, they get that sort of idea correct. And then you also, the other interesting angle in this all to me is often when, um, 
podcast or podcasting sorry uh, sponsorships say by uh, I won't we won't pick on any companies but you have a domain name company let's say one week and then the next week you have a different domain name company mm-hmm. and we've all heard this we know it happens and it's just the way it happens and one week podcast host A is praising this one and the next week he's he or she is praising this other one and uh, that's it's a bit of like and hopefully I guess for your case and with your scheduling you're hoping you're not going to line up quite like that, that there's a bit of a gap maybe between two that are targeting the exact same sort of niche or, or service right um but how do you sort of thoughts on that i guess and and what what do you do with that kind of stuff so although these are host reads i still think of them as as advertisements right we call them sponsorships but it's 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 not it's there's no deception here these are people who are paying so that they can get their message in front of listeners um and i you know when you look at TV, you can watch the same show and see ads for Ford and Chevy or for Coors and Bud or whatever else. And I think that that's just something that happens. So we do our very best not to promote two. I mean, I, it's never happened. But if there's a show with two spots, we're not going to promote, you know, company A and direct <laughs> competitor B. That's crazy. If we yeah. have a guest who's from company A, we're not going to promote company B because that wouldn't make any sense. I remember one time Glenn Fleischman on uh, The New Disruptors was talking with Dalton Caldwell, the creator of app.net. And we booked two sponsors for that one. They were both app.net clients, but one was a Mac client, one was an iOS client, and neither one made something for the, the other platform. So that was fine by me. Yeah. But, um, you know, when you're not going to, you don't want, it all goes back to, you want the sponsors to be happy. And um, I mean, I think that, you know, uh, if, if some other web hosting company promoted themselves on a show that Squarespace had elected not to sponsor that week or ever or for a long time, I think Squarespace gets it. There's, you know, it's a competitive space and people are going to want to promote the, their different products. And if you don't want to hear that other competitor being promoted, then you buy the spots instead. Um, I think that's just sort of how the the market and the industry work. But we're we're certainly we're never going to put people in an uncomfortable position where they're like, I can't believe you advertise me right next to my direct competitor, or I can't believe I was a guest on a show and the sponsor was my direct competitor. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, <laughs> and but I guess more getting at uh, without trying to pick a whatever a fight or whatever. But the this the to use what I I sometimes felt I guess maybe is a bit of the hypocrisy of someone. Uh, you know, like le- using the Letterman example, let's say of traditional TV, where one week he's pitching the GM and it's the most, you know, the best vehicle ever, and then next week he's talking Ford up or whatever. And I know, like, that's what I mean. Like, we're all podcasters here listening, or else hoping to be. That's presumably why you're listening to this <laughs> this show. I can't imagine why you'd listen just for fun, but um, you're involved somehow in this, and it's something you you might have to deal with, I guess. And so, um, I I think uh, if it sounds like I'm yeah, maybe thinking there's more controversy here than there is. I, I don't think it's really that big a deal, I guess, but just something for podcasters to think about. Um, is... I think, yeah, I think you're right. And it's, I mean, if you heard, let's pick on John Gruber again because he can take <laughs> it. But if John Gruber one week was like, Squarespace is great and you should absolutely go and check out Squarespace. And the next week he was like, Oval Space is awesome and you should do your web hosting <laughs> with Oval Space. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. However, I can also tell you at the same time, John, in his case, is not... Um, a Squarespace customer. He runs Daring Fireball on his own. It's an independent thing. He knows and understands the product. He's had briefings with the Squarespace people that I set up and he's spoken to them. He gets the product. And if he needed Squarespace, I'm sure, well, I can't speak for him, but I, I would imagine that if he needed the services that Squarespace offered and couldn't do them on his own and didn't, want, didn't need to do things exactly his way, that you know he, he would consider Squarespace as an option. But at the same time, he's not going to say like, 
I'm using this thing. Like he, he can't say I'm using Backblaze and love it. And then next week say I'm using CrashPlan and love it mm-hmm. unless he's using both of those things. Yeah. If he's using both of them and loves them both, then that's fine. Like John Syracuse uses both. Um, <laughs> uh, CrashPlan's never actually sponsored any of my shows. They, uh, we've talked about it, but we've never worked anything out yet. It'll happen, but it hasn't worked out yet. But, you know, the, the first question Backblaze might ask or CrashPlan might ask is, you know, is the other one sponsoring or has the other one sponsored recently? And it's... Um, yeah, there is a piece of that where um, the actor, uh, the actor who plays Job on Arrested Development, uh, Will, you, Will, Will, I can't uh, think of it. Yeah, I know you, Will Arnett. Yeah, Will yes, Arnett. Will yeah. Arnett. Will Arnett is Job on on Arrested Development, but he's also the voice of GMC. You know, yeah. GMC. You're driving up GMC. I have no idea what the tagline <laughs> is, but you know, buy our cars. Yeah. So he was cast years ago in this uh, short-lived remake reboot of uh night rider and night rider since this is how tv shows work these days when they rebooted it um got a deal with a car company to handle all the to make the night rider car and all the other cars be uh from ford i think it was and so when gmc heard that it was going to be all ford cars they said no will you have a clause with us that says you're not going to promote other cars and this feels like promoting other cars so will arnett all of his voiceovers that had been recorded for the show were pulled and they replaced him with Val Kilmer, who did not have such a such a thing going on. But certainly, I mean, I have the schedule. I have a, a custom-built app that I have, a web app that does all the ad tracking and the scheduling and everything else, who's invoiced and who has to pay and everything else. So I can see the schedule. I can look at the talk show and know who the next sponsors are over the next four months. And I'm not going to book Crash Play in the week after uh, Backblaze unless I've spoken to both companies and gotten them both to be okay with it. I'm going to try to keep those things as separately as possible just because, again, you don't want people to have bad feelings about the whole thing. Uh, I have to ask just because as podcasters, we we hear this kind of stuff and we're like, I want to use that too. This custom-built app you speak of, is this, <laughs> uh, is this something that you are using yourself and potentially could be something that comes out into the public realm on Sunday or is it just a, really like a, a hacky thing that you works for you but you would never want to? It's a great question. I I didn't initially build it with the thoughts of sharing it, although it's not a terrible idea. Right now, all my hosts log into it so they can see any shows that they're authorized to see. They can see what the schedules are and what's booked and what's not. Uh, if they sell something themselves, because I don't ever make anybody use me exclusively, they can log that in there too. Um, then I also have advertiser access. So if Squarespace wants to see everything that they have coming up on the schedule, they can see across all the different shows when they're booked. Um, if I log something like what time the ad read was or it, what the URL is for the MP3 that has the ad read in it, they can get all that in there too. Um, but yeah, I never, I didn't build it exactly with the, um, the notion of sharing it, but I'll, I'll give that some thought. <laughs> it could probably be done. I also use it for, and I don't just use it for logging invoices, but I actually, my top preference is that when people pay me that they use a service called Dwala, Dwala.com. Oh yeah. Um, which lets you transfer money between bank accounts with a fee of 25 cents per transfer, uh, which is just insanely low. Um, but if people can't use Dwala, uh, I have them pay me via Stripe also through the same Podlexing service. So I just give them a custom invoice URL and they go there and they can pay me. And then you know I, I and the, uh, the hosts all lose a little bit more money since the fees for something like Stripe or PayPal are substantially higher than 25 cents. But if people can pay you, we'll always... We'll always prefer to get paid versus not getting paid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's interesting the way you describe it, just as you're talking about that, like you're building 
uh, no secret here. You're building a, this, you know, podcast sponsorship network almost, you know, like, you know, last year, two years ago, whatever it's been now, it's, it's probably been three years now, we saw the sort of rise of podcast networks where, you know, five by five came along, Mule Radio, et cetera. There's lots. And way before that, obviously, was Twit and things like that. But yep. um, so it became, it, it became and has become, you know, like you said, let's, I don't want to do a show on my own. I want to be on that network because I get more listeners, et cetera. And so now it's almost kind of like within sponsorship, there's this, I could go advertise with, with Chris, let's say on his one show, show me your mic, or I could go talk to Lex and be on a bunch of shows and have all these other utilities thrown in, like your tracking service and stuff. Whereas, you know, you come talk to me, (laughs) I'm playing myself down a bit, I guess, but, you know, rather than picking on someone else, but, you know, I don't offer those services to people, to a sponsor even as a potential. So just, it does become it's an interesting, I guess. It's just interesting as a observer and participant in this quote unquote industry, how things are changing, evolving, and as different, like we, I said at the beginning, you know, sort of different, uh, not middlemen, what's the uh, auxiliary businesses? I don't know what the word is, come in and, and are able to make a go of it in this in this space. And it's exciting, I think, but I can see how some folks maybe just starting out to be like, it's so daunting. Like, I don't, how do I build an app to manage sponsorship? I, I can't even figure out how to record audio, <laughs> you know? And, and Yeah. And, and, it, and it's funny too because for me it's all sort of hacked together. Not that the code base for the system I'm using is hacked together, but everything <laughs> I'm doing is like uh, I realize I need thing X, so I, I add thing X. Like initially when I first started selling the sponsorship stuff, I was doing it all, you know, getting checks or whatever and depositing them into my personal bank account. And I had an LLC for other stuff I had done in the past. And I said, you know what, I'm going to have to set up a bank account specifically for the LLC and have people pay the LLC so it's easier to track. Um, so then I had the bank account. And then once I had the bank account, I said, you know, I need to use Dwala and other services and make sure they're all sending the money to the bank account. And now I also need to start working with an accountant, I think. I haven't done this step yet, but I'm going to have to issue... Uh, 1099s at the end of the year to all the hosts because it's really, in, you know, if, if I get a check from Squarespace for $2 billion, right now that's it looks like it's $2 billion of profit for Podlexing or for Lex Friedman LLC. Really it's not, right? It's like a percentage of that is for me and everything else I have to pay out to the host. So all those hosts need to get their 1099s and I need to be able to show that on my taxes as a loss. You know, if I got taxed on the $2 billion, that would suck since I'm really <laughs> only making a tiny fraction. Um, but, you know, figuring out all those different pieces and putting it together has really just happened ad hoc as, as I see there's a, a need for something to make my life easier. I'll do, I'll invest a lot of time to make my life easier long term. <laughs> um, hence, you know, building the different calendar tools and invoicing tools and payment tools and all that stuff. But, uh, I mean, I feel like we're having the same sort of pattern that blogging had mm-hmm. where there were a few blogs and everybody realized, hey, anybody can have a blog. And then there were a ton of blogs and then very select few people started really making money from it. And even today you'll see that there's people who are trying to go full-time as bloggers right now and make money from it. And it's not everybody who tries to make money from blogging makes substantial money from blogging. Some of them make, you know, $20 a month and some people make $600,000 a year or something insane. And I think the same sort of pattern will happen with podcasting where right now there's more and more podcasts each day. And at some point it's, it's not going to be rewarding to people who either don't get a lot of listeners or don't get a lot of sponsors, uh, unless they're super passionate about what they're talking about. And just like you see a lot of blogs that sort of wither and die, you'll see a lot of podcasts that wither and die. I think you've already seen that. Um, but if people really want to try to make a successful go at it and if they're measuring success, not just by listenership and reach, but by sponsorship stuff, long term, 
um, once you reach a certain size, it doesn't make sense to, to go it alone. I don't think. I mean, obviously, clearly I'm biased, but I will say that for every show that I sell that was doing well enough on its own selling ads beforehand, they're making more now just because I, I have a bigger picture than they do. And I can see, you know, if, if, if a show is sold out until December of this year, uh, it's priced too low. So, you know, if I'm able to raise the prices and people are still willing to pay it because you're not taking advantage of them, you're just, you know, trying to handle supply and demand and whatever else, mm -hmm. uh, it's benefiting everybody. So I think it's really working out. Yeah, where the average show, like uh, individual use, user, podcaster might say, sweet, I sold my show out to December and now I don't have to worry about it and just full stop, you know, not not think that means I, <laughs> I'm missing right. out on money. That's where something like what you're doing that... This is this is not sponsored by Podlexing, but <laughs> that's where yeah, the the benefit of a service like what you're doing is is helpful because you're again you're stepping back into I mean you are a podcaster as well, but you're you're becoming or are depending on how you want to look at it, an expert on sponsorship of podcasts and uh, um, yeah someday being interesting and this is where I I wish I had a auxiliary sort of video podcast component where to just with somehow without with by hiding the numbers but seeing some of the tools that you're using to sort of manage all this stuff would be i think interesting and helpful for folks but we'll save that for another day another time but um <laughs> uh, yeah. there's a few things i wanted to ask you do you have uh we're approaching an hour here and i don't i hate putting people on the spot while we're recording and if you say no we can just stop but are you do you have a hard i forgot to ask you your hard hard hour I, here I, I can give you a bit more time i'm okay okay um so just as, as and again, as much as you can talk about, I guess, and want to talk about, and I've talked to you, you know, offline or off air, I guess, as far as sponsorship and things like that. What do you what what kind of numbers do you, to give people a realistic expectation of what uh, what they're needing to attain sponsorship, and then also dollars that they might hope to get, and and what's a realistic expectation there. Um, so, I mean, the I'm always open to adding other shows. So if people have shows and they're thinking that they want help selling sponsorships, I'm glad to talk to them. Um, for me, uh, right now I have just found, and this might be, it might be my own failing, it might just be because of the number of shows that I'm selling. If the listenerships are low, and let's define low right now as, say, fewer than 5,000 listeners, um, it's hard to sell. You can sell a show that's got a thousand listeners or two thousand listeners, and people do it all the time. But if I have the, you know, if I'm pitching people and I'm saying, you know, here's all these different opportunities, I'm trying. I'm generally speaking, not pitching the people who can afford the two thousand person show, a uh, two thousand listener show. I'm pitching people who can afford, you know, larger shows, because that's what makes sense for me to do. So until a show is sort of at that size, um, I no longer take the new ones on because I'm just not as good at selling them. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what to make. Or, or what you can expect to make it. There's, there's a lot of variance. You know, I sell some shows that are uh, as cheap as a couple hundred dollars for a spot, and I sell some shows that are three thousand dollars for a spot. Um, and it's you know, there's there's a wide variance in between. It's and it doesn't just depend on listenership. Um, I'll use my own show as an example because what do I care? But with Unprofessional, <laughs> um, it costs more than some other shows that I sell that are the same size. Uh, and again, it's, it's because it's one of those shows that got sold out a lot further. And I think that our listeners, we, we've done listener surveys with Unprofessional where we ask people, you know, how much do you spend on entertainment per month and how much do you spend on apps per month? And so the fact that I, A, have those answers when sponsors want to know, and then B, the fact that it turns out that regardless of what the specific answers were, that our listeners 
tend to follow up on sponsors more maybe than a typical podcast listener does for whatever reason. Those things make our audience a little bit more valuable. But so in general, it's, it's some, there's a direct relationship between how big your show is to what rate you can ask. And, uh, you know, the, the larger the show, the more it asks. Um, but I would say, you know, if a show's around, uh, I mean, I don't want to get into specific numbers on prices, but I think if a show's, you know, uh, the, the largest shows in the network, like I said, are around 3,000. And then if, uh, if the shows are, you know, above 10,000 is when it starts to get really interesting sums of money. Yeah, and that's fair. I think, and anybody who is interested, obviously, can can contact you. And if they're, and I think there's on either side, if they want to sponsor or if they yeah, want to have sponsors, exactly. Shows, visit oddlexing.com. <laughs> Am I allowed to do that? You can edit uh, that out. Yeah, I'll edit it out because unless you give me uh, a couple hundred dollars, anyways, we'll start there. <laughs> no, but uh, and it, it does. It's interesting because again, going back to this sort of, I'm thinking out loud a lot as we record here, but the. That's what we do with podcasting, I guess. We're not professionals. Um, but there's almost is a now a market for somebody. Okay, so uh, you've gotten really good at, at selling sponsorships, 5,000 up. So let's, you know, someone who wants to hit almost like the Twitter of blogging, similar sort of scale marketing or uh, analogy, I guess, has become the Twitter of uh, selling sponsorships compared to your blogging firm or whatever. That analogy is terrible. But, um, you know, that can reach smaller markets or smaller audiences and, and find right. the companies that can afford to, that can't afford, sorry, the, you know, whatever, I guess a couple hundred dollars is probably should be in the, within reach for most companies, but, but you get what I'm saying that there's. Sure. And uh, yeah, there's, there's certainly room there. And what I've tried to do with some of the smaller shows is you bundle them up and sell them as one big package. Um, because then you start to get into more interesting listener numbers. The problem is that as you do that, it's, it works out to very, tiny payments per show and then it's a little bit less interesting to everybody involved. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I've, you know, I believe that Twit does this a lot. Um, and I say that based only on looking, I mean, I think Twit is great, but I just looking at who their sponsors are for a lot of their shows, they do a lot more CPA style advertising than I've done historically where it's, you know, they work with advertisers where you get paid for each new lead you generate for the advertiser, where I've done, historically done flat rate stuff. You know, you pay this price and you'll get this spot on the show. Um, but so with the other thing I've been trying with smaller shows is, you know, folks who pay per per lead or per acquisition or whatever it is. Um, because, you know, it's obviously that takes all the risk off the part of the sponsor, really, since they're only paying for, for actual customers. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, it helps... As you know, it's notoriously difficult to figure out just how large your listening audience really is. Um, and if you think about, you know, uh, a web display ad, let's say you've got a banner ad, a great click-through rate on a banner ad might be, I don't know, 0.1%. And I think that that's probably very high. So if a banner ad's seen, you know, a uh, hundred times, it'll get clicked 0.1 times. If it's seen a thousand times, it gets clicked one time. Um you want podcast ads to do a little bit better than that since you're working with, you know, in theory, much smaller numbers than the page views you might expect for a large website. So the the challenge that some of these smaller shows have is that, you know, if if you're only going to get X percent of, of listeners to to follow through and check out a sponsor and you're starting from, you know, 400 listeners, it's it's tough to really move the needle for a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, so I, what, I think you're right. There's probably an opportunity for somebody who can figure out better ways to crack that than I have. And, and like I said, the, the experiment I've been doing is seeing how CPA stuff works for, for those smaller shows now too. Yeah. And it's something I know that, um, 
well, speaking about my own numbers, like a, a, a show like this, Show Me Your Mic, which obviously is attractive to or interesting to podcasters or people who are interested in podcasting, learning about podcasting, et cetera. Um, and a lot of interview shows are like this, I would gather, where you sort of have your baseline of roughly, you know, when you have a guest who maybe doesn't have a huge following, you'll get this money downloads. And then you have someone like a, well, like Merlin Mann was on a couple episodes ago. And obviously that brings a huge audience that is then gone or, or hopefully some of them have stuck around. Hello listeners, but uh, <laughs> not to say you all had to leave, but um, that idea of like, and it's tough to even from that perspective uh, and presumably you would go on, you know, your average, whether it's over a month, I don't know what numbers you use, but over the course of three months or six months or whatever, your sort of average is this and, um, and go from there. But, um, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough going in that lower end. Once you sort of reach, like I said, like in your case, the 5,000 listeners or whatever, a metric it is that your sort of baseline is to get some sort of a, a sponsorship attractiveness to your podcast. So um, I'll wrap up shortly here, but uh, one thing I end up end most shows with is uh, just asking the guest what, uh, what podcast you listen to. And um, I forgot to, I sent you out my little uh, script or, or predefined like template of, of what to expect from the show. And I think I forgot to put this part in the show and that, <laughs> that was my updated fixed version. And, uh, I don't think I have it in there, but I don't know if you have, uh, your, your uh, podcast listening app of choice handy that you could whip out and, and sort of, or maybe you know offhand which, which shows you listen to, or do you even get time to listen to shows? Cause you're spending so much time sponsoring, <laughs> finding sponsors. Well, well, so I, um, I, I work from home and I, I, I'm at my desk during the work day. I listened more when I had a commute uh, and I have no commute now, so I, I listen less. Um, but because I work from home, I tend to do all my listening in either iTunes or uh, Instacast on the Mac. And the shows I listen to, I mean, I, I don't listen to my own show, although I'm subscribed to it. I listen to my show... Uh, months after each episode goes up so I can remember what it was like. Uh, but I, I wouldn't call myself a regular listener. Um, the Macworld podcast is one where, and since that's from my day job, I'm on it sometimes, but it's since there's a rotating panel, I'm always interested in what they're talking about in the Macworld podcast, so I listen to the ones that I'm not on so I can hear what they were talking about. Um, I'm a huge fan of Penn Jillette, so I'm subscribed to Penn's Sunday School. I'm a huge fan of They Might Be Giants, so whenever they have their podcast, which goes on long hiatuses all the time. I listen to their podcast. And then, you know, I'm, I'm very, I draw, a, I listen to and love every single show on the Podlexing Network, except that's a lie because I could not possibly have time to do that. I yeah. do love them all. I just can't listen to them all. But if you look at the list of shows that are on there, I have listened to all of them. I enjoy them all. You know, uh, Paul Kafasis and Amy Gruber recently launched Just the Tip. And I love that one. It's shorter. I love that it's short and I can digest it all in 25 minutes. That means I can listen to it during my lunch and get the whole thing. And I love that. Because uh, I can't, I used to be able to listen to podcasts while I worked when I didn't have a writing job. But when I'm trying to write, I can't listen to other people talk and write at the same time. It's kind of impossible for me. So a show like the talk show with John Gruber, I listen to on airplanes. But I, I get months behind on that show most of the time because I don't have time to listen to it when I'm working. I don't have a commute. But if I'm going to be traveling for a long time, I'll listen to that show. And, you know, I, I, I would say that those are the ones that come immediately to mind that I, I listen to the most. Yeah, that's a, and that's sort of what I gather. It's often what I hear, I guess, from from podcasters who are at least doing it somewhat semi-professionally is that, you know, you just don't 
there's only so much time in the day and you're you spend so much of it with either headphones on recording or editing or like you said doing some of the business of podcasting that you can't, <laughs> there's just not time to listen to stuff so yeah um and you mentioned you use the other question i often ask, or end with is you know the apps you listen to so instacast on the mac and itunes um on the mac as well presumably uh, yes not running up a windows box just for <laughs> podcasts i'll consider that just uh check compatibility i guess right that's right uh one random last question, just when you were talking about the They Might Be Giants podcast, do you think there's a market, and this runs, I assume the answer is no, but every podcaster tip says, you know, be regular, eat your fiber, the, you know, come up with a weekly episode, don't miss a week. Once you do that, then people lose interest and leave. But uh, presumably, you know, obviously They Might Be Giants it would be an exception or, you know, celebrity big names can put out something and, and they'll have their downloads no matter what because that's who they are and they bring that audience with them. But is there a market for something that's less than the traditional or what seems to be this sort of standard now of every week you have to put an episode, um, you know, a monthly thing, a bi-weekly thing, something where, uh, and maybe, like I said, there's so many podcasts out there, there's probably people doing this with great success and I just haven't come right. across them yet. But well. I would say I don't agree with what you're, I mean, I, I agree with you that it is sometimes the commonly given advice, but I don't agree with the common advice itself. I don't think that you have to worry about being every single week um, to get listeners. I think that there is absolutely room for shows that are on a schedule, but that is a schedule that is not weekly. Uh, I honestly, you know, with Paul and Amy, with Just the Tip, they were asking me, you know, should they, they didn't, they didn't want to commit to doing a year's worth of episodes. And so they were saying, you know, maybe we'll do every other week or maybe we'll do every, you know, two a month, but it wouldn't necessarily be every other week. And I said, I think that, although I just said the opposite, I do think that weekly is is compelling and helpful, but I think you can do seasons. Um, and so they did, they're doing right now a 13 episode initial season. So they're going to be every week for 13 weeks and then they're going to take a break of undetermined length. Um, and that's sort of like what the Sopranos used to do, right? You'd get a season of Sopranos and then when is it coming back? When David Chase feels like it. Um, and I think that's totally fine. I'm launching a new podcast, uh, sometime at the end of the summer, I think with Dan Morin from Macworld, it's going to be called not playing with Lex and Dan, where he and I have, uh, way too many movies that we haven't seen that everybody else in the world seems to have seen. And, uh, so on this show, we're going to listen, we're going to watch movies that we haven't seen for me. Like an example might be die hard or Beverly Hills cop. And then we'll, uh, we'll tell you what we expected or what we knew about the movie going in and then our reactions after having seen it. And that show I think will be around the half hour mark. And we'll also offer up uh, an optional download where you can get a live commentary track that syncs up with a movie that you can watch and listen to at the same time if you want to hear our live reactions to seeing the movie but that's another one where that's a huge commitment especially if you're going to do the the commentary tracks you've got you can't do it on your commute you got to sit down you got to sync everything up that's a big commitment for a listener so that's another one where we're thinking we'll do 13 episodes at a time and uh, when we're ready to do some more we'll do some more so i think there's absolutely room for people to say we don't have to do this every single week that's a huge commitment it's a huge commitment for your listeners too if i get behind two weeks now what do i do do i catch up on the ones i missed do i just jump ahead it's it's a lot of pressure on everybody don't feel like you have to do every single week that's what i'm saying interesting that's good advice and uh and a good preview of uh, i see the are you allowed to talk about the website is actually live is that do you want no you can i mean You've given it away, so yeah, the, the website is live. <laughs> well, I did. I just uh, but there's googled. There's nothing but, really yet. <laughs> yeah, but something to look forward to, anyways, and someone could subscribe, I guess, to the RSS feed, in theory, and right. and contact you about sponsoring it if they're wanting to sponsor. That's, 
So yeah, there you absolutely. Go. Yeah, we're. I am looking for <laughs> an exclusive sponsor for that show. Presumably, you're. It's you're, always fun to shell sponsors before uh, before the shows even aired. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think we've sort of covered a lot of it, but uh, where can folks uh, find you, follow you, all that kind of stuff online? What's your online? Digits? So I'm I'm LexFriedman.com. I'm LexFry on Twitter or app.net podlexing.com we talked about probably more than necessary unprofesh.com for unprofessional you can also go to muleradio.net and find the show there um and then uh, the day job you can read my stuff at macworld.com sweet well thanks lex for joining me uh, on this episode of show me your mic which if you found somewhere somehow on say itunes you can visit ssktn.com and find all the show notes, the links to the things we've talked about, um, all the sponsors we mentioned. Uh, I've included links to some of them. If the others want to, they can pay me and I'll include links for them. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. And uh, definitely check back into previous episodes of Show Me Your Mic, where, like I said, this is episode 23, so there's 22 fine episodes. Uh, well, maybe 20. There's probably a couple of duds in there. I won't say who. But uh, you can uh, go back and listen to the previous episodes. Lots of good stuff to find out about podcasts. And, of course, uh, sskTN.com for other podcasts that I do with friends and, and family and folks that I enjoy chatting with. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm iChris. And SSKTN is, of course, on Twitter at SSKTN and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Uh I think that's it for this episode uh, and I uh, will see you next week I don't have it in front of me who's on so I may re-record this but if not you've heard the, the raw edit of this and uh, thank you for listening and have a great day thanks for listening to show me your mic on the SSKTN podcast network follow along on twitter at SSKTN or like us on facebook.com slash SSKTN be sure to visit SSKTN.com for interviews with other podcasters, as well as learn about other shows we produce, such as Welcome to the Internet, Too Lazy to Blog, and Lost in Lemon. <laughs>